Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we are reviewing Atomic Habits by James Clear, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. Habits are super important, mate. Obviously, the outcomes we get are all as a result of what we do. And that's what, what we do is our habits. Absolutely, man. It's a big thing. So, you know, we always overestimate the importance of like one defining moment like the result. At the end of the day, it's all about making the small improvements on a daily basis is the thing in the first place that makes all those outcomes happen. Yeah, we convince ourselves that any massive success is a result of some kind of massive action, you know, whether it's lose weight, it's because you ran 10 marathons or if you build a massive business, it's because you are hustling for 36 hours straight and didn't sleep. But it's not so much a result of a some kind of one-off massive action. It's really the build-up of a lot of little, small 1% improvements every single day that you do on a long-term basis. Mm, it's that function of small improvements, improving 1% by 1%. Over time, you get these compound uh, increase in improvement, overall improvements, and that's going to make the huge results uh, retrospectively in the long run. Yeah, and it's tough though because you think, oh, I'm, I'm making this one tiny tweak it doesn't really mean anything in the long term and it on from day to day it doesn't but in two, five, ten years when you look back, you'll be very thankful that you made that small improvement or when you look back, you think that one extra cheeseburger a week that seemed in- insignificant actually uh, turned out to come back to haunt you. Yeah. Yeah, we, we seem to think these small things in the moment don't really make much of a difference in the moment. I mean, if you go to the gym three days in a row, you're still overweight and you're still fat. Yeah, well, it's the slow pace of transformation that also lets the bad habits slide. So, when you have that cheeky cheeseburger, you think, oh, what's this one cheesy going to do? And then all of a sudden, you, you end up huge. <laughs> <laughs> he says that it doesn't matter how successful or unsuccessful you are right now. What really matters is the, the trajectory you're on, uh, the path that we're working towards. So, we shouldn't be so concerned about our current habits, but he says that our outcomes are really a lagging indicator in economic terms. So, in economic terms, they're saying that, you know, the things that you do today, you don't really see the effects of that till later. So, you know, your, your net worth is a lagging indicator of your financial habits. Your weight and fitness are lagging indicators of your health habits. Knowledge is a lagging indicator of your learning habits. So, we get what we repeat and our time is magnifying all of these habits till we get to the eventual outcome later. So, it's super important not to get so obsessed with where we're at now, but what trajectory we're on and what direction we're pointing ourselves towards. Mm, so, breakthrough moments are often the result of many previous actions which built up the potential required to release major change. He uses the analogy of the critical threshold of ice. If you've got ice that melts at a temperature above zero degrees, it takes a bit of temperature and a bit of time for the latent energy to build up for it to actually change. And then you see it change in that one moment, but you don't see all that latent built up energy that actually got it to that point where it could start melting. Same thing with your habits. It might take you six months to a year or a very long time with this latent energy of you doing the right thing, right thing, right thing, and then bang, you know, one day uh, it all happens. And, you know, it's that saying of like, it took 10 years to become an overnight mm. success. You know, a lot of people say that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a good one, man. We just see the result when we're looking from the outside. We just think, oh, this person, oh, they they did it easy and they got this massive success. But really, it's a buildup of months or years of positive habits in the right direction. So, another thing he talks about is the importance of systems rather than goals, which uh, comes from a, a Scott Adams book, How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big, which we should probably do. Mm. 
Um, but he's saying that systems are more important than goals. Goals are overrated. Goals are just like the one-off event at the very end, but the systems is what you put in place in order to get there. So, as an example, for an entrepreneur, the goal might be making a million-dollar business, but the system behind it is testing product ideas and marketing strategy. For the musician, the goal would be mastering a new piece, but the system is actually practicing deliberately a section each day and receiving feedback. So, as you said, goals are shit in his opinion and uh, systems are good. So, the problems with goals, first of all, the winners and losers have the exact same goal. Yeah, everyone everyone wants the same things. Everyone's got the same goals and it comes into, you know, some of these ideas of survivorship bias that people might say, oh, I had this goal and this goal was what drove me towards taking action and getting success. But they don't show you that, you know, there's a whole bunch of losers sitting on the couch who had the exact same goal but Mm -hmm. they didn't put the system in place to actually make progress towards the goal. Problem number two is that achieving a goal is only a momentary change. As we said, it's the achievement of a goal is just a, a single moment in, uh, in your history, whereas the system is the thing that you do every single day. So, again, focusing on just the goal doesn't actually teach you how to get there. The third problem is goals restrict your happiness. Achieving a goal is, a, is binary. It's either success or failure, one or the other even though you're doing maybe the right thing in the first place. So, if you think you're going to be happy when you achieve your goal, you're delaying all of the happiness, not looking at the journey because sometimes the journey is actually should be the enjoyable part, what you're doing every single day. Yeah, if you just think I'm going to be happy when I achieve this goal, you're not happy every single time that you're working towards that goal and because it could be either a success or failure, you're either going to be really happy or really disappointed. But if you have a system where every day you're making progress, you can be happy every single day. Another thing that he talks about in terms of setting up these ideas of habits and behavior change is the importance of identity in what we do. So, he says it's sort of like an, an onion in that we've got three layers. The outermost layer is the outcomes and that's you know the results. That's you know losing weight or publishing a book or, or winning the gold medal. The middle layer is the processes and so that's the, the habits and the system. So, maybe that's eating more vegetables or writing a page each day or training every single day. And in the middle is the identity. And so, that's changing your beliefs, your worldviews, your self-image, your opinions, your your thoughts. And so, he says that the issue is most people try to change the wrong thing. They're just focused on the outer layer, which is the outcomes. They're thinking, I want to lose weight. I want to write a book when they should be thinking about changing the identity first and then the processes and the outcomes will follow. So, if you think to... Back to one of my favorite books, Alan Carr, Easy Way to Stop Smoking, Changed My Life Forever, just reading this book, can't believe it still. Anyway, what, what the way it does it differently, most people, when they want to quit smoking, they just think, they just want to change the outcome, I want to stop smoking. What Alan Carr really sneakily does in an amazing way, he just creeps into your identity. So, by the time you put that book down at the end, you are a non-smoker. So, your identity is a non-smoker. When someone says, hey, do you want a ciggy? your automatic reply in your brain is no because I'm a non-smoker as opposed to someone who's about the outcome who might be saying something like, hey, no, I'm trying to quit smoking. Mm. It's a completely different approach. If, you, if you're trying to quit something, you just focus on the outcome whereas if you're a non-smoker, obviously, then you don't want a cigarette. Obviously, if you're saying, I'm trying to quit, then you're saying you sort of do want it but you're trying not to. It's like that willpower versus that identity. So, he says that the outcomes are what you get the processes are what you do and the identity is who you are. It's shifting your goals from being, I want to read a book to I want to become a reader 
or changing the goal from I want to run a marathon to I want to become a runner. So, changing those the identity rather than just the outcome is a far better way to improve your habits and improve your outcomes. So, you're going to be very careful with what you tie to your identity. Like some people out there, including myself, might say, I'm terrible with directions or I'm always late or I'm horrible at math. So, be careful what you tie to your personal identity because the way your habits are going to stem from what your identity actually is. Yeah, this book's about improving, uh, you know, adding good habits, but also breaking bad habits. So, if you think, oh, I'm really bad at remembering names and you think, oh, a goal of mine is to get better at remembering people's names. If that's the outcome is to remember people's names, but your identity, you're telling yourself, I'm bad at remembering people's names, you're incongruent. Your behavior, your outcomes are incongruent with the identity. So, it's important to shift that identity first and the outcome will follow. All right. So, now we're going to whack you up with some strategy. He says, how to build habits in four simple steps, cue, craving, response, and then reward. And that's how he really structures the rest of the book. Yeah. So, the cues are the things that we see around us that trigger our brain. Obviously, the craving is the motivational force behind the habit. The response is what we do, you know, the thoughts or the actions we perform. And then the reward is that end goal and that uh, little bit of hit of reward that, that keeps us going. So, that's what the rest of the book is about, setting up how we can maximize each of these four steps into either building a good habit or breaking a bad habit. So, the first step is the cue. And he says in order to install our good habit, we need to make the cue obvious. So, Carl Jung says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. He's a bit of a master, is he, Jung? He is a bit of a master. There's, he's got some special thing about the name Jung. He's yeah. Got a bit of weight about his quotes. I don't know why. It doesn't do anything for me, but it does a little bit for you. <laughs> it does. So, it's all about once things become automatic, we stop thinking about them and that's actually how you run your life. So, you've probably, over the last few years or decades, you've built up a lot of habits throughout the day that you've just forgotten about. They're just so automatic, they're just ingrained and you think nothing of them. So, you actually want to become conscious of all of your habits that you have throughout the day and really understand which ones are the positive ones that you're all right, we're sweet, we're keeping this one and have an idea of which ones are the bad ones that you might want to actually dislodge out of your life. Yeah. So, you might think, okay, list your habits throughout the day, especially say your morning routine. You, you wake up, you turn off the alarm, you check your phone, you go to the bathroom, you weigh yourself, you take a shower, you eat breakfast, you brush your teeth. And so, assess all of those. Most of those are pretty positive. You know, taking a shower is good, brushing teeth is good, weighing yourself every day is good. But maybe that checking your phone first thing in the morning is a bad habit that you've got yourself into. And until we actually stop and reflect on what we're doing, we can't change our habits because we don't even know what we're doing. So, the first step here is to really analyze what are the things that over the, the last years or decades, you've installed as a habit without even knowing it. That's right. And once you're conscious with it, that's only when you're conscious with it, you can change. So, when you got that, you realize, fuck, I didn't realize, <laughs> I wasn't thinking oh, every morning I'll wake up on my phone and I'm checking my emails, my mm. first thing I do or just before you go to bed. You know, and when you're conscious of it and you know it's bad, then we can actually use the next steps of the book as well. So, if we want to start a new habit, uh, two ways that he gives us, one is called implementation intention and one is called habit stacking. Okay, one, one goal is you might want to do 10 push-ups a day, but that's a pretty uh, loose uh, objective. The implementation is all about making it much more specific and he gives us the outline here of I will behavior at time in location. So, filling in those gaps there. So, I will do 10 push-ups in the morning 
in the bathroom after I brush my teeth. That's a weird place to do it. (laughs) (laughs) I will do 10 push-ups every morning at 7 a.m. in the lounge room. So, maybe that's your your implementation in that you put a specific uh, behavior in a specific time in a specific location. Or perhaps uh, for relationships, it might be I will make uh, my partner a cup of tea every night at 8 p.m. So, having a very specific implementation intention about what you're going to do, where you're going to do it, and when you're going to do it. The second thing he says is a real benefit is all about habit stacking. So, Throughout the day when you do something, sometimes you automatically do something straight after. So, you kind of you know, connect habits together and this is the idea of stacking. So, so, in addition to implementation intention, you can really have the intention to stack habits together. So, for meditation, it might be after I pour my cup of coffee each morning, I will meditate for one minute. Or if it's gratitude, after I sit down to eat my dinner, I will say one thing that I'm grateful for. Or if it's exercise, after I take off my work shoes, I will immediately change into my running gear. So, if you think, you know, we've become conscious of all the habits we have today, now we're becoming conscious of how we're going to actually specifically insert the new ones and in what times and stacked around what other habits. Yeah, exactly. So, the idea of making the cue obvious is finding, okay, what habits are we already doing and using those habits as the cue to trigger the next habit that you want to add on top. So, this habit stacking is finding what are you already doing and what can you add on top of that. Now, another thing that he says is important in terms of the cue is that motivation is overrated and the environment offers, uh, and the environment often matters a lot more. So, you know, you can be super motivated to do 10 push-ups every day, but if you don't have something around you that's going to be the cue that triggers the idea that you need to do 10 push-ups, then the motivation won't matter so much. So, you're setting up your environment for success. I mean, if we think about diet, if we think back to things like mindless eating, having a clear bowl to a bowl with a stained glass on it where you can't see through has a massive difference to your eating habits. If it's a clear bowl, you're more likely to look at the fruit and then actually put your hand in it. Or if it's chocolate inside the bowl, you probably want to have a stained glass. So, uh, setting up your environment for success is a huge part of installing your best habits. So, as a recap of law one, which is all about the cue, which is going to trigger our behavior, if you want to install a new good habit, you need to make that cue as obvious as possible. So, you need to be doing things like fill out your habit scorecard to work out what habits you're already doing. You need to have implementation intentions like when and where you're going to do it. And you can also use habit stacking. So, tacking a new habit next to an existing habit that you're already going to do anyway. Another one is to design your environment to make sure that those cues are somewhere that's easy to see and it's going to trigger you to start that brand new good habit. And obviously, we can use this knowledge to have the opposite. So, if you want to get rid of bad habits, you need to make it invisible. So, reduce your exposure to it. Remove the cues of your bad habits from your environment. So, that was the first law about the cue. The second law is making it attractive. And this is all about the craving that we have inside ourselves. He explains what he calls the dopamine feedback loop through the eyes of a gambler. So, if you think of a gambler, they put their money down, they uh, you know they spin the wheel. If they win, they get the dopamine hit at the end. As a reward, they win, they get excited, they get a nice little rush. That's the first time you do it. After you've done that, the dopamine hit starts to move 
earlier in the process. So, in anticipation of having that reward at the end, you actually get the dopamine hit at the start. When you put your bet down, you get the excitement of, I might get a reward at the end here. So, he's saying that the dopamine hit, the reward actually shifts towards the front of the process. And the craving comes in because we're anticipating the reward and we start to get excited about what lies ahead of us. So the first time you go through the Macca's drive through and eat the quarter pounder, the dopamine comes after the quarter pounder. Then after a while, the dopamine hits, you know, on the way home from work when you're fucking, oh, you're getting all Macca's. excited in the drive through yeah. and Macca's. So we want to use this to our advantage when we're installing good habits. So we want to have the dopamine smacking us when we're doing the good action that's going to form the good habit. So, for example, you might you might put the exercise bike in front of the TV whilst you're watching TV. So, you're getting that dopamine hit of your Netflix whilst you're doing your TV. Or you might, you know, we did our digital minimalism last week and we're very well aware of the amount of dopamine hits we get from social media. So, you can maybe check your social media after you do something uh, productive, maybe after you go to the gym or something like that. Yeah, he calls that temptation bundling. So, there's things that we want to do, but there's also things that we need to do. Like, we need to exercise or we need to go out and make three sales calls. Whatever we need to do but don't necessarily want to do, he says we should bundle that with those things that we do want to do. Another way to make it attractive is to actually reprogram your brain or reframe the whole thing, the action you're doing from, I have to do this to, I get to do this. And again, if I think back to some of Alan Carr's magic in uh, Easy Way to Stop Smoking, he gets you excited about the prospect of becoming a non-smoker as opposed to the other way of doing it, like, oh, shit, I have to, co- I have to stop smoking. He, he says things like, if you think you're quitting, but you're not quitting anything because cigarettes do nothing for you, you think it's about releasing stress, but it's not. It doesn't do anything to your nerves, but destroy them. And then by the time you get to the end of the actual book, smoking becomes the most ridiculous thing in the world. So, the idea of smoking is completely reframed from something that you're scared of doing to something you're extremely excited to quitting and then quitting is an absolute piece of piss. Yeah, exactly. Rather than thinking, I have to quit, you're then thinking, I get to be free from, from, the, from the trap. Another thing is like, you know, say if you're exercising, rather than thinking, oh, I have to go to the gym, which has a negative spin to it, you think, okay, I get to build my endurance and strength. Or rather than, I have to save money, you think, oh, I get to put money aside so I can go on a holiday. Or if you've got pre-game jitters, rather than thinking, oh, I'm so nervous, reprogramming it to think, oh, man, this is exciting and I'm getting this adrenaline rush to prepare me. So, it's all about reprogramming or reframing those things to make them more attractive and less of a chore. So, a recap of law number two. So, for good habits, you need to make them attractive. You can use temptation bundling. So, you pair the action you want to do with an action you need to do. So, you're hitting dopamine with the action that you need to do. And for a bad habit, you do the opposite. You make it unattractive. So, you reframe your mindset to highlight the negatives of something, you know, like so smoking rather than you've built it up as a relief stress, but really it's actually killing your your nerves or, or decreasing your ability to cope with stress. So, obviously, making it unattractive by reframing it to a negative. Now, the third law is making it easy, which is all about the response. And this is where the law of least effort comes in. He says, energy is precious and the brain is wired to conserve it whenever possible. So, if you think about a garden hose with a kink, and you want to get water through the end, that's your goal. You've got two options. Option one is you can turn the water to be full ball and then some f- some water will force through it 
or you can just unkink the hose so it's easier for the water to flow naturally. So this is what we want to do with our habits. We want to make as things unkinked as possible so the good habit just flows out naturally into your daily rituals. Yeah, when we're deciding between two similar options, we're almost always going to naturally gravitate towards the one that takes the least amount of work. We're going to choose the easier options. So it's all about making your good habits feel easier and reducing the friction. Or conversely, if you've got a bad habit, it's all about increasing the amount of hurdles you have to get over in order to do that that bad habit. So if you want to go running in the morning, what you need to do is leave your clothes out and running shoes right next to your bed. So it's a piece of piss. Or if you want to eat more fruit or veg, chop up a shitload of fruit and veg on a Sunday and put them in clear plastic containers in the fridge so they're just ready to go. And if you want to draw more, leave your pencils and paper out on the desk in clear view so it's really easy for you to reach. Yeah, and, and conversely, if you want to increase the friction and make bad habits difficult to do, when you turn the TV off at night, remove the batteries from the remote and unplug the TV from the wall. It's just extra steps that you're, you're putting in the way of doing the bad habit. Or if you, you know, if you impulsively check your phone in the middle of the night or first thing when you wake up, leave your phone in a different room so that when you wake up, it's not right there to grab. Or well, one that kind of popped up in digital minimalism that I do a bit now is just you know leaving your phone in another room before lunchtime or before that you go to work just so that you don't have to keep checking it incessantly because it's nowhere near you. So you're setting yourself up for success. Another cool idea, similar to a book we did ages ago, man, back in season one called Mini Habits, is he calls it the two-minute rule. So it's stopping procrastination by making something super, super, super small. And an interesting point that he makes here is that often the habit that we think, like you know, the habit of going to the gym for an hour, isn't the habit that we need to build. The habit we need to build is maybe getting changed into our gym clothes, which is the, the real habit. Or for me, a habit I've been trying to build is you know go to the, the pool and swim 40 laps. But the habit itself isn't jumping in the pool and swimming 40 laps. The real habit is waking up at 6 a.m. when the alarm goes off and getting out of bed and getting in the car. Because the once I'm in the pool, swimming 40 laps is easy. You don't need to build that habit. The hard habit that you need to build is actually getting in the car at 6 a.m. So what we want to do is make it easy and by doing that, you need to make the habit as small and as much of a piece of piss as possible. So if you want to read a book before you go to bed, read one page or if you want to do 30 minutes of yoga, just take out the yoga mat. If you want to fold the laundry, just fold one pair of socks. If you want to study for the test, just open the textbook and notebook. So it's the habit of just doing the simple thing that she's going to... Uh, make the whole thing easy and, and give you some good momentum. Yeah, exactly. So building the habit isn't about installing the whole habit at once. It's just really installing that first step. If you install that first two minutes as the habit, the rest sort of takes care of itself. Another thing he talks about is the idea of decisive moments. So sort of at any point in time, we've got a whole bunch of options available to us, but it's like a, a decision tree in that once we make one decision, we're closing off a lot of doors. So that first initial decisions up front have the highest leverage uh, in the long run, all the other mini decisions that you need to make in future. For example, in the supermarket, if you make some incredible decisions there that set you up for a healthy eating week, at home, your subset of decisions are only based on mm. that first decision you made in terms of food. So if your options are there, five different relatively healthy options, then your 
decisions are meaningless compared to that first one. Or if you made a bad decision where you just got chocolate cakes and yeah. muffins and burgers and stuff like that, and you go, oh, shit, I'm going to choose the healthiest one, and it ends up being a burger with a slice of lettuce, <laughs> then you, good. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you're cooked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, at the you know right now, if if you go to the supermarket, you've got almost infinite options of what you can have for dinner. But as soon as you make those first decisions as to what you buy and what you bring and put in your pantry, your decisions, uh, you've funneled yourself into positive decisions. Or obviously, if you do it wrong, you funnel yourself into into making some pretty bad decisions. So you might just leave your phone at home or something, which sets you up for good decisions for the rest of the day, or something a bit more outrageous is you know you might uh live close to the cities actually what i did but you know i didn't realize i was doing it at the time but uh sell your car and then buy a bike so that means rather than drive everywhere that means you have to ride everywhere then you end up doing a lot more exercise yeah exactly that first decision you make if you've got the decision to okay i can either drive or ride the bike then uh, obviously you're going to probably pick the easier one. But if you've already made the decision at the start, then you're really funneling yourself towards good good habits and reducing the friction of making those good habits. So as a recap of Law 3, we want to uh, make our good habits as easy and frictionless as possible. So a few things we can do, we can prime the environment, so set up our environment to make it easy to do something. We can master that decisive moment. So when we've got a whole bunch of forks in the road open to us, picking the right first one. And we also can use the two-minute rule. So rather than trying to install the whole habit, just make sure you nail the habit of installing the first two minutes of what you want to do. So it's uh, as easy and painless as possible to just do that first two minutes and the rest will follow. And for bad habits, you need to make it as difficult as possible to continue the habit. So increase all the little pieces of friction you possibly can and the amount of steps in between you and performing that bad habit. Now, the fourth law of it all is making it satisfying, which is all about the reward. Basically, what our body does is, you know, after we do a response and it feels good, if it feels good and we get a reward where our brain is saying, that's good, do it again next time. And often there's a big mismatch between what we do in the moment and our results in the long term. So, you know, when you... When you go to the gym and you work out hard for an hour, it feels like shit. Mm. Um, but in the in the long term, it's going to feel good. Whereas if you think, okay, I'm going to sit on the couch, watch TV and, and eat ice cream, in the immediate short term, it feels pretty good. But in the long term, it really is not is not going to take you where you want to go. Mm. If you really think about it, it's those people who can really delay their gratification the most get the best results in the long run because it means you can easily hold off that chalky cake and... Uh, exercise instead it means you can put the money away to save but that's it it makes it it's so hard because the dopamine is so far in the future right yeah he calls it uh, hyperbolic discounting in that it's tough for our our brain just registers the immediate uh, rewards or costs and generally you know if we to do something good to get a reward in the end we need to do something that costs us right now and you know for bad habits the reward is right now, but the cost is later. So, we almost put that off. So, the real key here into installing good habits is finding a way to bring that reward to right now rather than having a, a painful um, a painful hour at the gym or suffering, you know, eating two-minute noodles because you're trying to save for a house. You need to somehow bring the reward to the front so that your brain says, yep, that's, that's a good one. Do that one again. So, one way we can bring the reward... Uh, to the front when you're actually taking the actions. You know, it might be something like habit tracking 
where you might print a big calendar and you put an X through every day you do the habit you want and then it does feel that little bit good every X you put through because you're hitting that dopamine uh, up front. Yeah, if it's if it, if you derive some satisfaction from crossing it off, you get a little reward. And if it's painful to break the chain, then that's going to be obviously an, an immediate bad thing. So we want to try and continue our good habits. Or another thing you suggest is say you're saving for a holiday, which is way in the future, and you might think, okay, I'm going to rather than buying uh, lunch at work every single day, then three days a week, I'm going to bring. Uh, a meal from home and over the long term yeah you'll save and you'll get to go on that holiday but what he says is what you should do is you know when you skip that meal immediately transfer ten dollars from your spending account into your savings account so it's it's a really good book it's i think being conscious of your habits is huge it's one of those things if you think about back to seven habits of highly effective people quadrant two it's those things that are extremely important but not urgent i think changing habits falls in that category. If you spend a little bit of your time, take two hours right now to think about what your habits are and strategically try and think about how you can change your habits, it's probably going to, in the long run, have the biggest impact on your life, you know, well above what you can do for the next 40 hours in this, this next week. So, spending a few hours on this has huge leverage and huge benefits in the long run. 100%, man. And this has been a really popular book over the last couple of months. It's been at the top of the charts uh, which probably got us worried in that similar books that have been at the top of the charts have been uh, stinkers. Like subtle art. <laughs> like subtle, subtle art of not, not giving a fuck. It's a stinker in it. <laughs> like 12 Rules for Life. That's a and, good um, <laughs> But this is, uh, this is actually a really good book, I thought, in that if it was one of the first books we'd read, it'd be an absolute 10 out of 10. It's a great little intro into super important things, you know, building habits that are going to really be a benefit to you in the long term. So, you need to make it attractive. You need to make it easy. You need to make it satisfying. And in the long term, every day, if you're doing these slight improvements, you're going to see some phenomenal results at the end. 